Welcome to another episode of Behind the Now. Today I chat with casting director Katie Taylor. Katie is the president and CEO of Taylor Casting, an advertising casting office that finds talent for commercials and print campaigns for directors and photographers. Tune in to learn more about Katie's very unique pathway into casting, which includes gymnastics and stunt work as well as practical ways to be the now. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. So, Katie, you are a casting director for commercials and print. Tell me a bit how... Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Um, tell me about how you got into casting. Did you always want to do that? Where was the beginning of that? No, I actually completely got into casting by chance, like just completely by fluke. Um, my journey was both my parents were directors mm. in the 70s and 80s. My mom used to direct animation and commercials and videos and stuff. And my dad was like an 80s music video director in MTV oh, wow. when like they had music videos on MTV. <laughs> um, and so I grew up in like an entertainment industry household. And uh, I went into actually into early childhood education was my first mm. career path. I was like, you know, a babysitter and a nanny. And I was always like the Pied Piper babysitter of the neighborhood that always had the kids together and ra ran the little summer camps mm. out of people's backyards. And like, I just loved playing with kids and, you know, just cause they had such, you know, invigorating spirits and love to be adventurous and role play and let's try this. And, you know, they were just fearless warriors, you know what I mean? And yeah, I, I love that. And um, obviously, you know, once you kind of in that educational field, I was like teaching preschool, mm -hmm. you don't get very much adult interaction, obviously, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, some of the, the kind of hobbies that I took off, took up on my free time was, when I was a kid, I was a gymnast. And once I hit like, you know, 12, my career was over. Like you, you hit 12 and you don't make it to the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, right. Yeah. So I started taking like adult gymnastics classes again when I was like, you know, 22. And um, all the adults in these classes, they were all in the stunt industry. They were all working on Spider-Man and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And they were, they were, that's what you did when you were a professional gymnast. Um, you either went into coaching as an adult or you went into the stunt industry because mm -hmm. it's also a very easily transferable sport to high falls, to harness work, to, yeah, you know, anything that's like, it's like a kinesthetic awareness type of sport that was really transferable into stunts. And so obviously I was like, this is not like teaching preschool. <laughs> you know, this is like, wow, I, can I come to that audition with you? That sounds kind of cool, you know? Yeah. And um, I eventually transitioned out of teaching completely into the stunt industry. And I went and trained in like circus arts and, and got certified in precision driving. Oh my and, God. You know what I mean? Like learn stage yeah. combat and learn ratchets and air rams mm -hmm. and like all the different, you know, gadgets. Um, and as you do during that, you get to know all the casting assistants mm -hmm. and uh, commercial offices. And, you know, whenever there's a, you know, a target ad that needs a girl on a trampoline, you know, it's like we, we knew where to go. Mm -hmm. um, and 
through that, I got to know a casting assistant that worked at an office that primarily focused in what they called real people casting. Mm -hmm. And that was like, they were looking for real firemen. They were looking for real painters. They were looking for real nurses. They were for real BMXers or whatever. And so after I was in the stunt business for probably about three years, I had gotten injured twice in a row. Mm. I had rolled one ankle. And then while babying that injured ankle, I'd rolled the other. So I was like totally hobbled. <laughs> and out of work, <laughs> no one's hiring me. And I ran into a casting assistant at one of these real people offices. And they were like, oh my God, no wonder we haven't seen you in the past year. Like you're hobbled. Oh, I you know, they're like, you know, do you want to like, we're working on this Mountain Dew job and we need BMXers and we need cowboys and we need like all your friends basically. Mm -hmm. Would you want to come and like be a research assistant in the office? Now this is before the internet. Keep that in mm -hmm. mind all done on the phone, all done on typewriter <laughs> and fax machine. Mm -hmm. That was how high tech we were. Um, and so I took on this job and I like killed it because I knew all of them. It was just for chance. Like I was like, I know all these people. I can mm -hmm. help you up and them up at the same time. This is like a great arrangement. And I look like the hero. You know? yeah, that's a, and I did that and they were like, do you want to work here? Like you, mm -hmm. wow. Okay, can you do that again? Now we're looking for this, you mm -hmm. know, and the next job was artists. And both my parents were artists, you right. know, I, I was like, yeah, I got them killer artists. So they, that, that was it. I worked in that office for like another year and a half. Mm -hmm. So I was like, people, they, they started sharing me <laughs> with other offices mm -hmm. because part of my deal was I go out on the street. I go mm -hmm. out with a cameraman and a stack of size sheets and a Polaroid camera and whether it was for Taco Bell or for Home Depot or AT&T or whatever it was we were going to whatever we needed we were going to firehouses sometimes we were going to Melrose and stopping like cool looking people or whatever it was and that was like how I got introduced into like what makes a commercial type what what's approachable mm. what's aspirational like what what does all this mean like it all translates into a physicality and once i felt like i got it because it, it's a skill like once just looking at faces right. like looking at faces and faces and faces you, you kind of get tuned into the language and what sells and what's current and mm. what they're talking about when they're asking for these very specific aesthetics and i was like and I also really got a kick out of like being part of the win. Like I'm just mm -hmm. passing out wins all day. Like this is great. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And so I left teaching and I went full force into being a casting assistant into like being a real people recruiter until finally I realized that like what I had to offer, I didn't need to sell the casting directors anymore. I could sell it direct, you know, so after about three years of like making a name for myself through that because always because the advantage of real people casting was that I was the connection between the real person mm -hmm. and production like I was the liaison so it was always me that was like do you happen to know if they have a dog mm. you know did they did they oh, you know can they see without their glasses you know what I mean so mm -hmm. I had you know inadvertently built relationships with all these production companies so when I went out on my own and let them know that I immediately started to get customers and I, mm -hmm. and I kind of built upon that also. It's like, once you just get a handful of them, they pass you around oh, and, okay. and, like that. and, and, uh, yeah, I've been doing it since like, not, what was it? 1998. 
Oh, that's so amazing. I love that story. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with gymnastics. That's so funny you bring up. Yeah. And especially now I'm like I watched all the Olympic trials. I'm like, they call the team and I'm like like trying not to cry. I'm like, this is so amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, and I actually have been thinking, I know this is way off topic, but um I keep thinking and like telling my friends. I'm like, gymnastics has changed. Like, you never had people in their 20s. And, like, usually it was, like, you never went to two Olympics. It was, like, 16. If you're not peaked, totally. then you're done. And I'm, I'm just, like, in awe that, like, these people are older. And I'm like, what is going? It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Because you're totally right. It was, like, 14 to 17. Yeah. And you always thought they were, like, even younger than they said. It was always, like, so-and-so, 16, just made the cut. And they looked like they're, like, 11 or something. <laughs> You know, off puberty. That's why. Yeah, yeah. You know, they do look twelve. Yeah. Now it's like different. Now it's different. But I remember just when I was little watching it, I was just thought of, like I remember that being. I'm like, God, this sport is so hard. Like, because if you're not ready by the time you're a certain age, it's like there's nothing to do anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's so hard. Um. So one thing. So your whole journey is amazing. Wow, like that's so unique. I love that. One thing I want to ask you is, because people don't know this and we see it all the time, what does aspirational mean? And what else did you bring up? What are uh, all those Approachable, like? approachable. Yeah, so approachable. Those are the ones I hear the most. Aspirational and approachable. Okay. Um, aspirational, the way I describe aspirational is like, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, a, well, let's start with approachable. Okay. Approachable is someone that is attractive, but not so attractive that they're intimidating. Okay. Or someone that you would like walk up to to ask for directions. Okay. They're approachable, you know what I mean? Right. Like they look friendly, they look kind. I mean, they're not a supermodel. Like you wouldn't just go and like, you know, tap yeah. on, you know, Bella Hadid's shoulder. Like, excuse me, can I ask you yeah. Yeah. directions? Cause that, they're not approachable. Okay. Like, that just looks like a warm, kind, friendly mm -hmm. human is approachable. Okay. Aspirational is approachable, like plus one. You know what I mean? Okay. It's like they're attractive and, and approachable, but they're slightly aspirational. There's something mm -hmm. like, like I think inquiring about them, but they're not unapproachable. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. Just something slightly better. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I see. It's I don't even. Like there's like something cool about them or like yeah, something like there's something like they're actually kind of pretty you know okay. what i mean they're, they're pretty but they're not supermodel but they're like they're cute. yeah yeah they're all like yeah that's so funny know, I like their cool style or their cool hair or you know like I yeah wish i was like that you know what i mean that's what it is it's like attainably it's attainable okay you know i know yeah, that makes sense i've even seen sometimes on breakdowns um like all this description and then it's like, but not looking for real supermodels, not looking for models. And it's like, well, that sounds like a model, you know, but that's so funny from your end to hear. I mean, like when they say not looking for models, they just mean like, I'm not looking for a 5'10 size zero with chiseled cheekbones that you'd right. see in an editorial ad. It's okay. like, obviously a model, you know what yeah. I mean? You look at yeah. them and you're like, honest. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like they just, because that's intimidating. That's not approachable. Right. You know I mean, so yeah, it's funny. Yeah. And then, 
the thing is, is that nine times out of ten, there's still a model. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Model. You know, and the short, fat, bald guy in the pharma ad, he's technically a model. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I actually, um, in ads where it says um, little, like, it's like, these are not actors, are they? Like, they are? No, no, they aren't. Usually what those will be, will be the real people. They're the real customer. They're the real patient. They're the real employee. You know, like usually what they do is like, you know what, I've done a bunch. One of my absolute most memorable favorite jobs I've ever done in my entire life mm-hmm. was for somebody else. It was when I was a recruiter, a mm-hmm. cast, a real people casting assistant. It was, and I'll totally out him because I loved it. It was out of Joe Blake's office. It was back in like the early 2000s and it was for a Toyota job. And he sent me out to, I think it was Kentucky to the real Toyota factory to audition real Toyota factory workers. And I got like a full tour of the facility and like get to know, and they, everyone loved the company. Mm -hmm. They were all like, I was like, I want to work here. We had like a college on the premises that taught people how to build the machines that built the machines. You know what I mean? Like they had a nursery that grew the trees that they landscaped the property on. Like it was its own city. And like the employees, if they invented an innovations in their process, they literally got a percentage of how much that saves the company money. That's amazing. And they held a lot for a car every couple of months. Like I was like, this is the most amazing company I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Wow. And your job is amazing because you're getting, because you get exposed to like the most unexpected things that you normally would never know about. Totally. It was amazing. And that's one of the major reasons I love my job is it kind of forces you to research what you're doing. Like forget I had to dig into, um, off, what do they call it? Municycling, which is off-road, like mountain bike unicycling. There are guys that have a unicycle that has a mountain bike tire and they go up like rocks and mountains and stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't even yeah. know that thing. That's so amazing. And it's so, so it really does. It really forces you into the world of Everything I normally not know anything about. Mm-hmm. Different languages, different cultures, different sports. Yeah, that's so amazing. I feel like um, in many, I always think of that for acting as well in many ways, because you'll have a role and you'll have to research, like they do something that's so like, you have no idea what it is. So then you're like learning and then you're understanding like, okay, so this is my job. I, I do this every day. You know, you have to like know the nitty gritty. Yeah, I love that. It's so funny because you're like, it's the same and similar, but you're really like real world consequences too you know yes I mean you your job is harder you have to learn how to be it right you have to understand it yeah but I also have an eye for like like we don't do any of that you know like casting (laughs) yeah I mean the thing is is we are just the choice providers anyway you know what I mean we're just like this is what we found this is all you get to pick from like that's a, one of the big misnomers of casting is we don't pick who gets the job. Right. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? We don't even get to suggest it. You know what I mean? We could, sometimes they would come to me or us or any of casting and say, hey, you know, we like these people. Have you ever worked with them any, 
before? Or do you know anything about them or whatever? You know, do you have any experience yeah. with them? What do you think of them? Um, but it's never like, do you think we should hire them? You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, well, tell us what's your input about this person, you know? Yeah. Um, you guys are like the first line of like yeah, the first social. Or middle management, mm. you know? Okay. Yeah. So do you work mostly with real people or actors as well? You do both, right? I do mostly actors, to be oh, honest. Oh, you do mostly actors. Yeah, okay. I do mostly actors. And what's real people these days is like, we need real families, you yeah, know, we need yeah. real, you know what I mean? We need real BMXers. We need mm -hmm. real, you know what I mean? And like real BMXers, most of them that are really good, they have agents, you know what I mean? Right. Oh, it's I see. More like exactly. real families, like well, at least one of them will have an agent. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. You'll find them like the kid and his parents and his sister, mm -hmm. they can do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, well, that actor, he has three kids and a wife. Let's get them in. You know what I mean? So, right it's most of the time we do it connected to acting okay and, you know the only time it isn't is it's when it's stuff that's really hard right. you know, what's really hard is like japanese and latin seniors like if you know any japanese and latin seniors that want to make some money like they should get into commercials let me tell you we hire like the same few people in those categories every time. Wow. It's it's hard to offer variety, you know, yeah. to our clients. We're like, here's the same 10 people again. You, know? you mean um you mean Japanese seniors and Latin seniors, or do you mean a mix yes. of the okay? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like that. Yeah. Was really Japanese seniors and okay. Latin seniors. Those okay. two categories are the pickings are slim. They're the oh. same few people every single time. Yeah. Yeah. So tell yeah. you, you want to make a million dollars, start an agency and specialize in those two things and you will slay. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so walk me through the process for someone who doesn't know of um, for something that's getting cast. I know you do print as well. So like for print sure. and then for commercial, because I actually I always is print just based on like photograph or do you bring them in? Yeah, it's not super different. Hold on, okay. I just want to hear somebody that's blowing me up isn't, of course it is. He can check my email. Um, so it really isn't too different. Mm -hmm. The only major difference I would say is that it really depends on the spot. If the commercial itself is very comedy driven, very dialogue driven, you know, if there's something really specific, like I've done a lot of comedy spots mm -hmm. and that's something that I definitely will prep different than I would a print job. You know okay. what I mean? Um, but the mechanics of it are the same. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like what you're looking at first is different. <laughs> you know what I mean? So usually what happens is a producer contacts you. It's always a producer that contacts you and either you're connected to them or you're connected to the production company in some way or the photographer or director prefers okay. you or prefers you. Um, but for me, I have a, a certain companies that hire me for everything they do. And then I have certain producers that hire me for everything they do. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, between those, I, I kind of get you know, spread around. And what they do is they contact you and say, okay, we have a job for XYZ. Here are the specs. Here's the usage. Here's the rates. Here's our timeline of when we need everything by and when there's going to be a callback and the shoot, et cetera. We choose a website to put it out on. I used to prefer casting yeah. networks. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, yeah. I've been using Casting Frontier a lot, which works great. It's mm -hmm. just not everyone is on it. Right. Um, 
So we put it out on a casting platform. And if it's print, I will filter the submissions because most of the time we'll get 3,500 submissions and that is a lot to go through. And so I will filter it, you know, on each of these websites is equipped on the casting side with a programmable filter that says mm -hmm. you can build a filter and give it its own name, best kids agents, best comedy agents, oh. best print modeling agents, yeah. best commercial modeling agents, you know, whatever it is. And then you hand add whatever agencies to each mm -hmm. list so that when you have a job where it's comedy or whether it's supermodels, whatever, mm -hmm. you can click on that filter and it will only show you submissions from the agencies that you've put on that list. Right, you have thousands. Yes, so it'll, it'll narrow it from 3,500 submissions down to 700 submissions, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Which is, is a nice chunk taken out. Right. Um, and you'll go through them. And if it's print, I'll just look at faces. I'm looking at what are they, what did they ask for? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Not even really like, who do I like? It's like, what did they ask for? You know, it could be something very specific. And sometimes mm -hmm. they'll even give you a couple of photos and be like someone like this. And so you're looking at that oh. against your submissions. Like, does, does he look like those guys? <laughs> you know, who's got the same energy as those guys? Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, there is that guy. You know what I mean? And that does happen. That oh, does happen. <laughs> I booked the game, the layout. That's so funny. He wasn't, he wasn't really up against much himself. Right. Oh, so funny. Uh, and then, you know, if it's comedy, to be honest, I look at resumes first. Mm -hmm. I And you know what I look at first? I look at television. Television is easiest to see whether someone is successful. Movie, it's hard because you're like, do I know that production company? Do I know that director? Unless it's going to say Lionsgate, Paramount, right. you know what I mean? And if it does, you'll see it. But it's harder yeah. to like skim through that to look for those. Yeah. It's way easier to look at TV. And if it's got NBC, CBS, Fox, it's got all these major shows and it's like guest star reoccurring. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, and if they're comedy related, wow. You look down at training also. We look at training oh. at Groundlings. Have they done Improv Olympics? Have they done, yeah. what, what kind of comedy improv training? Have they done stand-up? Like what's, you know what I mean? Like you look for those things. And then after you look at that and you're like, damn, this girl is good. Then I look at the picture and then I go, oh. could she be xyz you know what i mean yeah. does she look like a mom is she hispanic looking enough right you know what I mean? like does she read like this guy's wife or this girl's mom or whatever it is we're doing you know what i mean yeah. um and sometimes i might be like no but her resume is amazing i don't care you know what i mean like she's gonna kill it and so it, you, it's like weighing that you know what I mean and then you go back and look at what you've done and if it's time to call you know what I mean like this is too many I like too many mm -hmm. you put some people on a backup and you replace them as people fall out and sometimes right. over schedule if it's a self-tape request and you know a bunch of people are gonna flake anyway right you know? um and then it's different with print print you have also a lot more volume with on camera, you, you're really restricted. You're like, I can only show them 35 people. Mm. And you're like, I can show them 57 people. <laughs> you know? yeah, and so, great, right? yeah. like, picture. Yeah. 
even in person, when we were doing in-person castings, we were, we could see 250 people in a day in print. Oh. We would just fire them through like an assembly line. Mm -hmm. And with video, it's not the same because they need performance and they need redirect right. and you want quality product. Right. So you want it to go slow enough to get the quality product. And the fact of the matter is you can just do print quality faster. Mm -hmm. you know, that makes excellent, sense. Yeah. excellent photographer and she just moves quick and she's good at what she does so yeah video you want to make sure you're turning good acting so mm -hmm. it's to put in the time you know? yeah so for print and person auditions I think I've had like a few but not as many print but you walk in and then there's a photographer that like asks you to do certain poses and things is that how it is normally okay yeah because I remember the first one I had like that it was I was just they had like an exact image and everything that they were going for and you were trying to match it and I'm like I don't know what this is right <laughs> I was just like you're doing weird poses oh yeah <laughs> interesting no it's, it's like it's cool yeah and like they asked you to dress the same way as this thing and I was like yeah. what do I don't even have that and I was like looking through <laughs> yeah it's cool though it's fun because it is quick and like, and you know, and it's either yes and or it no. is what it is. You don't have to yeah. do, you know, nobody, you can't do anything wrong. You just right. have to go in and do your thing. And if they pick your flavor, they pick your flavor. Right. You know, if they exactly. pick vanilla, they pick orange, they pick apple, you know, like. Yeah. It's what it is. <laughs> is there anything that you can, so like you've been in it now for um, a bunch of years. Is there anything you could pinpoint or like anything of what what people who book things have in common or like no because they're all so different no you know what i have to say <laughs> it's so sad that there there are some people that you bring in you're like i know they're gonna pick him again wow. like he always gets picked you know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> there are some people that are just super marketable huh. and honestly has nothing to do with anything they're doing or saying <laughs> or anything right. honestly it's literally genetics mm -hmm. all they have to do is walk in the door and get their picture taken and they're like that's the guy right and it's because they're approachable and aspirational and they're not too intimidating and they're so so perfect that like everyone looks at them and they're like of course him you know what i mean there's just there's people that they're just bookers because they have that. And it honestly, I hate to say this and take that away from them, but it's nothing they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like also it may be that, you know, they also realize that they're getting momentum and they put more into it and then it just gives them more momentum. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like even just confidence is like that. Exactly. Exactly. But to be Fair, honestly, there really are aesthetically people out there that just, they are it now right. and book no matter what period because yeah. of the way they look. Well, also, cause you guys, I mean, for commercials, it's selling something, you know, like that's the base of it. So if there's someone like that, everyone's going to like just because of how they look, like they have just the look, as I said, and they really pick it up a notch with amazing yeah. skills. Like they are untouchable. And those are the people, honestly, that go on to do well theatrically. There are oh. people that remember being like, we used to audition that guy forever and ever and ever. Now look at him. He's oh, the <laughs> Yeah. 
That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know who I'll never forget was there's an actress by the name of Darby Stanfield. And she went on to become on that show with Carrie Washington, where she was the fixer on, mm-hmm. you know, the president. Yeah. I, I remember her, you know, she's auditioned all the time, all the time. We used to call her and all the time. She's one of the very first actresses that did a color headshot when it was all black and white. Yeah. She was a redhead and she was like, I want people to know I'm a redhead. And he was like, yeah, go Darby, that's so rad, you know? Yeah. And she vanished and that happens all the time. Uh-huh. I mean, but that just means they've graduated the commercials and they're not doing it anymore. Uh-huh. You know, they're like strictly theatrical now. And then all of a sudden she's on this big TV show and we're like, oh my God, that's where she went. Oh, amazing. That's so cool. How long after, if you kind of know, for how long after was it like, she wasn't auditioning for a couple, a couple years. Couple okay. Years. And there are people, honestly, that I've seen come back where literally they'll be like gaining massive momentum commercially. They're, they become that booker that just books everything mm-hmm. and they really invest in their craft and they become really good at it because they've made some good money and they can. They can invest right. in really high quality training and they really go for it like a business, you know? Uh-huh. And then they graduate out and do theatrical only. Or there'll be like sad commercials only, which, as we all know, are very far few and right. far between these days, uh-huh. you know. And then all of a sudden, they realize like there's just not enough. There's not enough out there, especially if you're in a unique demographic that doesn't get hired super frequently, and you're always limited to very certain parts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so they're like, I need commercials back for that bread and butter, and they go five core and drop back down in and again, kill it again, because right. they're big fish now. They yeah. know how to work things. They're way overqualified and can yeah. jump back in and just come back in and just slay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Seen a few people do that. And then I've also seen people go through that whole process and then move somewhere else from there. Like there's this amazing actress who I absolutely adore by the name of Jill Alexander. And she was a booker. She was the employee in every single, you know, you know, everything from Walmart to Taco Bell to whatever. She was the housewife. She was the comedian, whatever it was. And she went on to do well theatrically. And then instead of keeping going in that direction, she became a writer for a TV show. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? She transitioned it completely out of, Mm-hmm. in front of the camera to behind but having learned through that whole process right. of how to you kind of come full circle mm-hmm. you know what I mean and so I think it can be a really interesting process no matter where you end up it could really lead you like it led me I didn't say yeah. yeah I love that though because it's a good reminder because there's so many stories like that and it's good for people to know like if they're doing this thing and they don't know how it's going to apply to what they want to do or like you just the whole thing is like you get value out of everything so just trust sometimes what's going on or trust what you're inspired to do and go with it and just see where it takes you like you just started doing gymnastics classes not to go to the olympics anymore but just for fun (laughs) you know completely changed the trajectory of my career amazing and that was something you were doing just for yourself, right? For fun. Totally. Completely yeah. for fun. Yes. Oh, that's so good. It's I know. Good. I, I know. You know what it always reminds me of? And it's become one of my absolute favorite, favorite things to refer to and ask people to watch and get inspiration from is there's this really old, boring in the beginning speech <laughs> um, that Steve Jobs did for, oh. 
I think, I can't remember, some Ivy League school. It was like Harvard or Yale or somewhere. You mm -hmm. stand I can't even remember. But if you literally just look on it on YouTube, Steve Jobs commencement speech. Okay. Like 15, 20 minutes long. So the beginning, it kind of, you're like, yeah, yeah, Katie, what's the point? Why am I watching this boring video, right? But what it does is he tells the whole story of his life, right? And how, he, what he went through and how, what happened. And he went through all this horrible shit, excuse oh. my French, but like, really bad stuff the guy who got cancer the guy got the company he built taken away from him like all these things he dropped out of college like all these things that you're like what is happening to this poor guy right and through it all towards the end he starts to look back and realize why all the things that had happened to him happened because they all happened for reasons that led him to exactly where he was. Yeah. If he'd never gotten fired, he would have never been able to buy the company that then absorbed his own company. He never, if he never dropped out of college, he never would have taken that calligraphy class for fun that ended up being the font that started the very first Apple computer. You know what I mean? Like all these things that he didn't realize and I remember at a certain point, he says, you can never connect the dots looking back, looking forward. Yeah. Looking back. yeah. You know what I mean? So you have to, like you said, trust in the process. And no matter what, your only job is to follow your joy, is to do what makes you the most happy. That's your job. That's it. Yeah. is to follow your instinct and listen to that inner voice because it knows where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to become. And all you have to do is have the courage and the quietness to kind of listen to it and just go with your heart. You know what I mean? And then you'll end up exactly where you're supposed to be. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. I totally do. <laughs> I love that so much. I always... Yeah, I try to do that too. Like whenever it feels like anything, you know, like I'm not going where I want or this or that, I try to just like break away from all that. Yeah, like, and even the struggle. And then figure it out, like, yeah. Even the struggle is has value. It's helping you build resilience. It's helping mm -hmm. you build tenacity. It's helping your fire burn for what you want. You know what I mean? Yeah, you kind of have to look at all of it has purpose. And it might suck going through certain stuff and it might feel like the world is against you or whatever, but you have to really trust that it has a purpose for you and you don't know what it is yet. You right. can't connect those dots now, but you will. Mm -hmm. You will looking back and you'll say, gosh, I'm so grateful that I went through that because it prepared me for what I'm facing yeah. now. And had I never been through that, I never would have had the X, Y, Z, whatever it is, right. the, the knowledge, you know, the education that I got through that experience, whatever it is, you know what I mean? It's a, yeah. it will always end up being a gift to you and you just yeah. have to know and trust that. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I love how you've said all this. <laughs> That's great. So I'm going to ask you, how do you be the now? So in times when you're not, um, in times where you're just not, everything you said is amazing, but in those like, in those moments, right, where you're not there at all, or just in your past where you just don't know what you're doing anymore. Like when you decided to do gymnastics, what, whatever it is, what, what do you, um, is there anything that you do to be the now or however you want to answer it? Like, yeah. yeah. Yes, there's lots of things I do to be the now. I think it's hard to be the now. 
You know what I mean? It really is. It's really hard not to get stuck in the past or the future in your mind. And so that's a big challenge that I think all of us face, you know, and we all have different ways to, to kind of manage that. And I think my favorite way to manage that is to, is to honestly think in, in my dad is a shrink. <laughs> so, you know, so I always think about stuff he's taught me about, you know, anxiety or, or worry or stuff, you know, to manage those feelings. And I think part of that comes in handy when you really need to be in the now, right? And what I like to do is, first of all, like connect with the environment of where I am. And if I'm in an office, I go outside. You know what I mean? If it's nighttime, I still usually will go outside or at least open a window and look out the window. Mm -hmm. Focus on the earth and how incredibly magical it is and how lucky we are to even experience every little amazing thing that's going on around us and just soak that in and love on that, that really helps me be in the now because you can't not, you know what I mean? You can't not be in the now when you're soaking in that love and like of awe. Yeah. You know? Another thing that I love to do is, is do something else sensory that is indulgent, smell something beautiful, flowers, essential oils, amazing, beautiful, take, taste some beautiful, amazing food. You know what I mean? Wear something snuggly and cuddly where you're indulged in your senses and just feel in your body. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like be connected to your senses and all the amazing things you get as a human being. Like you have, you live in this magical machine. You know what I mean? So like indulge in that, feel the grace and the beauty in that. And I think that really brings you into the present moment and helps you feel grounded and connected to the now. Mm -hmm. you know? I, yeah, I agree with this so much. I'm kind of obsessed with like, animals and nature and just yeah. and if I go on a walk or something I'm just like so I just can't believe stuff you know like yes. like there's a lot of rabbits around here and just yes. like it's just yeah I totally know you know I really think that our natural state is truly joy because you realize like anxiety and thoughts and all that stuff are extra things that's like sure. it's like on top of it but if you kind of ever let it fall away like, and you don't do anything, like you don't try to be present even, or you don't try to do anything, then you'll find your natural state is actually present without trying to be it, you know? Exactly. It's a weird thing where you can't really strive for it in the moment. You have to just let it go and let it come to, like, let experience it. That's what it is. Totally. And all those present future thoughts, they're not even real. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not real. It's not now. Right. Like yeah, that. it's not real. I say that all the time. That's something else too. I'll, I'll like, you can literally just sit down and be like, well, right now I have no pain. Luckily I have like, I'm not starving, like any, anything, whatever it is, but you have, you're a hundred percent safe in this moment. You're a hundred percent everything in this moment, you know? So why? Yeah. Oh my God. That's so true. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, another thing people find helpful is gratitude, just counting yeah. all the things yeah. you're for you know right. I just sometimes feel guilty when I do that <laughs> you know what I mean like I shouldn't feel bad I have all this great stuff in my life you yeah. know what I mean that doesn't always work you know mm -hmm. what I mean it just doesn't always work and I find that grounding your body mm -hmm. you know grounding your mind like that really help yeah really and I yeah help. 
you know? And when all else fails, here's another shrink tip, right? This is totally brain. This has nothing to do with anything mm -hmm. deep, completely physical. If you're really truly worried and panicked about anything and you really are, can't get out of the past and the future, there's something called bilateral stimulation. Early, just tap your shoulders. Oh, wow. Okay. And what that does is that interrupts your brain. It interrupts the pathway. I can't remember all the gobbledygook science because I'm not a shrink. Uh -huh. I just know that it works. I use it with my kids sometimes. Oh. It like it works. My oh. clinical trial totally works. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. Use that. That just it helps you again to be in your body. Yeah. To connect with your body. It, it interrupts those thoughts for you. You can even tap both legs. What it is, is you just stimulate both sides of your body at the same time. Mm, I see. Okay. I've I mean. always heard something or watched something where um, if you can't make a decision, they said like in your brain, like you say five, four, three, two, one, and then you just like decide or something because, but it was like the same, the same concept, but it's only in thoughts, but right. disrupting your current cycle of thought, right. you know, like whatever is happening. You have to think five, four, three, two, one instead. But I like that one better because it's physical. You don't yeah. have to like concentrate to do that. You just do it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was wild because at first I was like, that's crazy. And I was like, by golly, it works. Yeah, that's that's so cool. I really do think there's- And then I asked my dad about it and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, that's a thing. And I was like, what? You kept yeah. it from me? <laughs> And your dad's a, di a director, you said, right? He was. He okay. was. He went through his whole crazy path. You know, mm -hmm. he was a wild and crazy 80s music video director, as you can imagine. Like, he was party animal, rock star guy. He had a band and, you know, so eventually he had, you know, as most people in that industry do, they have a full awakening, breakdown, whatever. He went back to school and became a shrink. And now he works mm -hmm. at a dual diagnosis rehab where he is a doctor for people that are addicts and have a mental illness as well, like mm -hmm. a mental health condition, whether it's anxiety, depression, mm -hmm. ADHD, whatever it is, um, because that's that's in itself two complex issues together. Mm -hmm. um, and so he kind of turned it around, like I was there, I know how it is to be that, and now I, I know how to help, you wow, know, that's so really amazing. cool. That's so cool, how interesting. Dang, you have amazing parents. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Oh, interesting. Does he is he still working as as a shrink? Yeah, yeah. He's he he's um, transitioning now out of the hospital because he's older now into mm -hmm. a private practice. Okay. Kind of mind, maintain a lighter caseload and things mm -hmm. like that. But um, that's still his kind of his clinical specialty, and you know his doctor. Yeah. that's so cool. <laughs> um, I read this is going back a little, but I read at so your casting office is Taylor Casting. And I read that you do everything on your own. Is that still the case? Or? It is. I'm okay. kind of a freak in that way. It's not always a good thing. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, most people, when they start casting offices, what they'll do is hire a full staff so they can take on more larger volume and they mm. kind of segregate jobs out. Like kind of like I had worked for Joe Blake. Like mm -hmm. he would hand me a job and say, here's your job, bring it to me when you're done. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? And yeah. there's a lot of people, a lot of the people in the casting industry, that's what they do. They delegate to assistants and people like that. Mm -hmm. I could never do that. For some reason for me, it's like 
this is, I, I want to bake all the cakes. I don't want to yeah. be Betty Crocker on the assembly line. Like mm -hmm. this is an art, this is a craft. Like yeah. I don't want someone else's work with my name on it. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah. I want to like every, yeah. every project you feel like it's personal to you. So you don't want, like, I understand that. You know, I, I just, and I feel like, you know, while my staff are all amazing and everything, it's, it's easy for an assistant to walk in and screw up a job and walk away and still get another job. You know what I mean? When it's your name and a job is botched, you lose that client forever. And mm -hmm. that's a chunk of your income annually. Right. You know, they usually bring you 20 jobs a year. So it's not just that job, it's that client forever. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And you get to like, well, I had a really shitty assistant, sorry. Yeah. You, know, you are the one that hired that assistant. You're the one that didn't, catch the mistake. You're the one that didn't, you know what I mean? It's still yeah. me. It's my fault. So I just am like, you know what, if I control everything, if there's a mess up, it's my fault. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I accept the consequences of that. And that's on me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, thankfully there hasn't really been anything major, but um, it does limit my ability to take on, I can't take on 20 jobs a week. Yeah. You know I mean? Like some of these very, very big, busy offices that have mm -hmm. five assistants. Um, but I'm okay with that. I, okay. you know, I'm not greedy. I like being medium. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean, oh. I don't need to, I don't, you know, a hundred jobs a year is plenty. Like, yeah. I don't need more than that. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. And, and if you cool. ever did want to grow or anything, you can do that. Like, it's so easy. It's yeah. just creating that assistant. I know. So, I, don't, yeah. I don't think I ever could. You know, yeah. the only thing I have thought about doing, to be honest, uh -huh. is starting an agency. Cause like, that is where the money's at. Talent, you guys are all making, you know, you, you book a SAG national, you know, you have 20 people booking SAG nationals. Mm -hmm. That's way more than I could ever make. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying um, a talent agency, right? Yeah. That would be the only other thing I could possibly yeah. be doing, you know, um, just because I feel like, you know, that that's where my heart is. is right. Working with the talent. It's not, yeah, I can yeah. tell. Like knowing what sells, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like this is marketable. I've watched for over 20 years what sells. Yeah. Uh, right. of only what sells. You know right. what I mean? You'd be amazing at that because, because of your experience, like you have an eye, you would probably only, you take on people who you knew would like. Exactly. And then on top of that, once you have them, you can guide them in terms of like everything, like their how, program, to, take, like how to audition, how to take headshots, like all of it. Yeah, yeah. Because honestly, it's all just kind of a guessing game on our end. We don't really know, you know. Like we're always trying to like ask and different people and find guidance, but we don't know. And it's so subjective too. So you'll show it to one, um, like for to one agent, for instance, and they'll say, "Oh, these are my top headshots of yours," and this and that. And then you can bring on someone else onto your team a little bit later and show it to them. And they're like, oh, I don't, this does not, this doesn't look at you. Not this one, not this one, this one, this one. But at least you, at least have been on the other end, like really seeing which ones get picked up. Right. But I will say something though. One thing that's helped was connecting with other casting directors through um, Clubhouse and realizing that not all of our experiences are identical. So right. what I say will not necessarily be the case with somebody yeah. else. Something that I discovered through Clubhouse, which I still can't, I'm like tickled by this, is that I literally have got to be the only casting director in forever that likes, um, like the employee shot. 
the doctor shot. Oh. Also, like those are cheesy. Those are this. And I'm like, I cannot tell you. And this is why I'll tell you why I like them. I have data to back up my life. Go for it. Is that there has been a ton of jobs that I've had. Literally, I want to say a third of the jobs that I have annually work this way. And this is part of a process that you should know. Mm -hmm. Is they'll be like, we have a job that's 27 roles. And we have one day of casting. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I see what you're going. Right? Right. And I'm like, what? I, there's no way I can do that. I said, here's what I propose, right? is I'm going to do a first pass. I'll cut it down from 3,500 people per category to 100. Mm -hmm. I will show you the pages of each category, just 100 talent. I want you to pick for me your favorite 10. That's all you can pick. Only pick for me your favorite 10. That's it, mm -hmm. right? So I will show them all those links and they will pick their favorite 10. And 100% of the time, 100%. When I show them, and I'll show them a mixed bag. I'll show them some people in doctor's coats oh. and some people in suits. Some people just in a polo shirt. Whatever it is, they pick all doctor shots. Yeah. One guy that you're like, yeah, well, he's, he can wear a paper bag and look like a doctor. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, they're, the fact of the matter is, and don't take this the wrong way, clients, I love you, they're lazy. They don't okay. want to try to imagine what that guy mm -hmm. looks like in a lab coat. They don't want to try to imagine what that guy looks like in a red polo for Target. They, right. they see it and it's literally bashing them over the head going, look at this guy. He looks exactly like a Target employee. He looks like a Taco Bell employee. Look at him. Right. It doesn't, it's an easy judgment. Mm -hmm. There's no guesswork. There's no imagining. Yeah. It's an easy sell. You know that what I mean? Yeah, that makes so much sense to me because on top of that, though, it's such a fast turnaround industry that like, okay, even if they were creative and gave more time, they often don't have time. So it's oh. just like that automatic, well, I need to find a doctor. These 10 are look like doctors and they could look like it because of their outfit, not even, you know. Well, they do take that into consideration. What it is, oh, is okay. <laughs> mine also, I'm only showing them 100. I'm not showing them the whole thing. I'm showing right. them all bookers. Like these are all the best guys. You know oh, I, mean? I see. I see. Guys that book all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can pick any of them and they're awesome. So it, it's like you just throw in the best people for the job. Mm -hmm. And, and, but what I've noticed is they are always drawn to those because it's such, it, there's no guesswork out of it. Right. Great guys. They're still drawn to the guys that did, made it easy. You know what yeah. I mean? And no, a lot of parents, you know, it's like, it's a doctor. You see the back of his head and his arm passing the patient or whatever. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're looking for that done, done. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's something I recently, I was always under the impression that you want those like specific looks. And then recently I've kind of been hearing, no, you know what? Like have a more look, like a yes. look that could go either direction. And I'm like, oh, that, I've heard that too. I've heard that a million times. <laughs> I hear that a million times too. I, as I said, I'm alone. Right. That's because of my process. Yeah. You know, and you've seen it. I don't know if other people do that. I don't know if other people, when they say I have 26 roles and one casting day, they go, well, heck, I'm only calling in 10 people. Right. You know? yeah. Like, I don't like to take that risk. I want to ensure my success. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and not have to do extra work for free at the end when it didn't work mm -hmm. out. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, that makes sense. Completely. So, like, I—that's my hack. 
And so that helps my hack. That helps you in my hack. Right, right. You know what I mean? Definitely. So, yeah. you know, but maybe, I, again, maybe I'm unique. You know, oh, and that's the other thing too, though. It's good for people to remember that you guys, everyone, everyone is a human and they do things their own way. And I've been hearing casting directors complete opposite advice sometimes, you know, and it's just, it's good. That's good. You just like, and it, I always think too, if I could, this is like getting um, personal, but if I happen to like have heard this one in a conversation, literally say that they prefer that, then hopefully when that audition comes up, I can remember that and know that, you know, or like um, I sometimes have notes and stuff too, but right. yeah, I mean, that's unexpected. But the bottom line is everyone is different. So like you have to also do what you, what you like, what's best for you, you know? Totally. Yeah. It's hard because that makes you feel like you have to be prepared for every casting director. Yeah. Like, this casting director doesn't like this and this casting director does. Right. Like I have to have something for everyone, which is hard. Yeah. You know I mean? And I think like you said, the, the kind of more benign that give you a feeling of that in either direction, I could see being like a happy medium. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And obviously if that, if everyone gravitated towards that trend and all of my links, nobody was in a doctor's coat. They were just in a shirt. Mm -hmm. They would still pick them. It's not like they'd be like, well, where's everyone in a doctor coat? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, okay. It's just that, you know, when that's the choice, that's often chosen. Right. Like, that's if the, if the trend is going to stray away from that, everyone will adapt. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just know that when that trend is happening, it's, it works. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. I really do. Like, where you're, that makes sense to me. And also, it's not even something to like, oh, I agree or I disagree. You've seen it work. So, yeah, there I, you go. Yeah. I, part of me doesn't, wishes it doesn't work because yeah. I'm kind of like, of course. <laughs> yeah, it might be more relevant for commercial because I think for like theatrical sometimes. No, that's totally Yeah, because yeah. you have like, I think with that, um, say it's like nerdy girl. And so you do this thing with like glasses, but that's kind of such an idea of a nerd. Like it might not be what they're looking for at all. Like, no, like you, when it's theatrical and it's nerd, like you do your version. You, right, right. Not like the classic stereotype version. Right. You'd be you if you were a nerd. What right. would it look like? Exactly. And it might be completely unique and maybe doesn't look as nerdy, but once you start acting, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> And that's yeah. usually what people go for. They're like, oh my God, I didn't even think of it that way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that works. Mm -hmm. exactly. That's one of the reasons a lot of casting directors, and I love doing this, is throwing in the curveballs. You know what I mean? Well, they asked for a guy, but what if it was a girl? Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, they asked for a white guy, but what if he was Asian? So do you guys do that kind of thing? I do. I totally do. So you go, um, so that means you're calling in like the white guy example. You'll call in white guys, but you'll also call in some Asian well, not, guys. Not so much. It's not like that. Like a lot of times they'll be like, I need a white guy, I need an Asian guy, I need a black guy. And it's not like I'm gonna throw Asian guys in the white category. Okay, okay. What it'll be is it'll be like, we're casting this role, we want it to be a white guy. You know, it's just a spokesman, blah, blah, blah. But then you might throw in, you know, you'll show them the 50 white guys, but then you'll show show them like a sprinkling of other mm -hmm. ethnicities as well. You're like, but what if? Like, does it have to be a white guy? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, I see. I've gotten many actually. 
um, auditions where the ethnicity will say, or like anything, there's some detail and I'll look, I'm like, oh, that's not me at all, but whatever. And I always wonder what the deal is. And I've been on a veil for things too, where, where I'm like looking and it's like the, something was just like a hundred percent, nothing that I can even pretend, you know? Yeah. Interesting. As, as, as the other thing is, is that a lot of times we'll put, we'll put out the casting, we'll audition people, the client will look at it and they'll change something. They'll be like, you know what? We oh. want to be a couple more, except can you make them a little bit younger? Or you know mm -hmm. what? Let's make them more whatever it is. Right. We won't go back in and like re-rate the breakdown. We'll just go back into the submissions and we'll look for those. Oh, I see. And I mean, we're like, okay, this one's younger. Mm -hmm. This one could be Hispanic. This one could be this girl's mom, whatever it is. We we kind of, and then we just put it out. We don't rewrite it. Right. Know? The client now yeah. says, they want to go younger. You know what I mean? We just come in. So like, just trust again, that there's something you didn't know in the process. Okay. Like if we picked you, there's a reason. Yeah. That's so good to hear. That's such a good, um, just for anyone to be reminded. I mean, it's like for actors to be reminded. Um, and I know we hear this all the time. Like there's so many factors because there are so many factors, but really like even something like that, you don't realize like they like that was just like a verbal change that you guys are going in and like looking for the difference not putting it like yeah whatever is the most efficient way on your end sometimes we are not seeing you know totally yeah we're terrible communicators you? <laughs> you know like in terms of like you know releasing people from avails like I yeah i've had times where i have no idea what happened <laughs> A lot of the times it's because they're like, can you put these 10 people on a veil for this? Oh, I see. And then you're like on to the next one. You're like, oh, I've got to release all those 10 people. And then what you'll do is you put out the breakdown again with a note. This is releasing all avails mm -hmm. and only half the agents will see it. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So for a veil, it doesn't mean like two or three. You sometimes have like 10. Sometimes I usually, I don't let that happen anymore. Right. I won't do it. I'll be like, you have to cut this. The yeah. most people do is usually like four per role. And okay. even then I'm like, come on, you guys. Like, yeah. You know, especially when they've got like 27 year roles and they hand you a, an avail list of 110 people and you're like. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, so oftentimes it's just um, not to, not to sound like to make you guys sound bad, but oftentimes it's almost like indecis like the decision hasn't been made yet. So you guys are putting on a veil for safety. No, they, oh, what usually it is, is, okay, here's what usually happens, is okay. there's multiple cooks in the kitchen. It's the director or the photographer has their favorite. Okay. They usually have their favorite and their backup. And then the ad agency will have their favorite too. Like the art buyer, the art director, whatever it is, they're like, no, my vision is this. And they, and they you know, they present their four to the brand. Mm -hmm. Brand picks and you put all four talent on hold before they present to the brand. So they take those four people, they present them to the brand and the brand says, I like X. Oh, so then you book that one person, whoever the brand, it's ultimately the brand's choice. Okay. They are the ones. Okay. You know what will usually happen a lot of times is the brand will just defer to one of them. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll defer to the director. Love oh, I see. 
director. Their director is, they're like, you know what? We're paying the director for his vision and to execute his vision. I want to give him full control or her, you know what I mean? Like I want to give her full control as a director to be able to pick who she wants to make the art that she does happen. Mm -hmm. like if we intervene in that, if we pick for her and it doesn't work out, it's our fault. So let's let her and the director pick. Yeah. So sometimes it's like the brand, which is like the advertising company, right? is the no, they're different oh. they add, there's this, there's three entities okay. there's there's the director who has the production company they're associated with production okay the ad agency the ad agency is the one that wrote the commercial okay the ones that the brand you know pepsi pepsi picks an ad agency oh i see an ad agency and they say hey can you write our commercials we want it to be hip and cool and edgy right, right. Here's, here's our pie chart our pie chart is like who's our customer Right, right. Our customers are 18 to 24, 17%, so you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. most of them are this ethnicity, most of them are this, they, they know everything. They know how much money you make. Right. They know, they, like they all have a target audience. And so then the ad agency writes the commercial targeting their demographic. Oh. And so what they'll do is they'll be like, Pepsi will be like, you know what? We wanna try to go for the older demographic. Can we make it, or we wanna to try to get the newer, younger hip generation. Like, you know what I mean? And the, they have to tie, the ad agency's job is to tie into the culture and the tie into what's hip and cool. Ooh, we've gotta hire Katy Perry. Oh, we've gotta hire, oh no, it's all about Olivia Rodrigo right now. Let's see what she's doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then, then they're like, well, who's the hip, cool director that does this? Oh. You know, and then they pick two or three and they say, okay, you want this Pepsi job? Tell me what you can do. Mm. And the director writes a treatment, they do a visual board, they have their whole wardrobe thing, and they submit it to the ad agency, and then the ad agency picks which director to go with. Oh, you know, we think they can do, look look at the treatment they did for our commercial, it's definitely the best. Like, he's mm -hmm. going to be amazing, or she's going to make this incredible. And then they award it to that director. Mm -hmm. and the director has their own casting, has their own whatever, oh, you know, like, we don't ever market to Pepsi or to ad agencies like we're brought with the creative right right yeah. that makes sense how interesting so yeah. now I'm realizing you were saying the brand sometimes will approve of casting choices and that's the brand like Pepsi or yes. Toyota whatever that is yep it's okay. like the marketing department is usually who's in charge okay yeah. oh my god how interesting yeah. oh there's so much that goes into everything it's it amazing oh so, like there's so much yeah so much math let me tell right. you. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Okay, cool. Um, do you have anything else you want to share at all? Oh, no, I don't think so. You've gotten some really great questions and <laughs> You had amazing answers so that I keep, I'm like, oh, I can talk about this. Just looks so much that's come up. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, of course. I'm happy to. Yeah, I really appreciate it. You're amazing. You're, I've never... You're the most in detail I've ever heard about like this whole world. Oh, cool. So cool. I, like it. I love to demystify because the yeah. more educated and knowledgeable you guys are, the better you are. Yeah. The better you are, the better it makes me look. Right. <laughs> right. It's so cool. So like it's it's an investment for me. Like I need you guys to be smart and empowered and great at your job, you know? Yeah. You guys are the colors in the painting, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. That's okay. Yeah.
Thank you so much. Painting. See how colorful the painting is? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that, by the way. I love art like that. That is the painting that hung over the mantle of my childhood home. Oh. That, that's the painting of a music video director in the 80s. <laughs> your, your dad painted that? No, I just mean like that's, that's what oh, they want. I see. You know okay. what I mean? Like that's the kind of art they were into. Yeah, I love that kind of look though. I, I uh like the abstract, colorful. Buttons loose and out to lunch. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me.